Hello, and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for July 2010. I'm Jennifer Griffiths, Managing Editor with ACS Publications. In the July issue of ACS Chemical Biology, we feature four research articles, two letters, and a review by Aaron Carlson on using natural products as chemical probes. The article from Greg Thatcher's group describes a proteomic mass spectrometry technique to measure the extent of protein S-nitrosation by NO donors. In other research, scientists in Eric Prosnitz's lab detail the development of radio-labeled neutral and charged non-steroidal compounds targeted at the G-protein-coupled estrogen receptor to understand the influence of ligand charge on cell binding, cellular permeability, and in vivo tumor imaging. Researchers led by Ronald Raines and John Sutherland proposed that a stereoelectronic effect could have regulated a step in the mechanism of the spontaneous synthesis of an activated ribonucleotide, work that could have implications for the RNA world hypothesis. And John Clardy, Jason Crawford, and colleagues report the creation of a mutant of P-luminescence that upregulates biosynthesis of small molecules. We'll talk with Raines and Crawford later in the program. In addition, an article by Patrice Soumillon and colleagues describes how cysteine-mediated split-in-teen splicing can be used to generate backbone-cyclized peptides in the oxidative environment of the periplasm of E. coli. And finally, Suzanne Walker, Daniel Kahn, and co-workers report the synthesis of six analogs of the natural product monomycin A to probe the importance of the phosphoglycerate moiety within the molecule. Now, we'll talk with Jason Crawford in his lab about his work. Hello, Jason. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. So first, why are bacterially generated small molecules important? Well, bacteria make many of our currently used antibiotics, anti-cancer agents, and immunomodulators. Photorabdus luminescence is especially attractive as it's a close relative of E. coli and has a sequenced genome that contains the biosynthetic genes for lots of unknown small molecules. We started the project to figure out what turned these genes on and what they made. So you created a mutant of P-luminescence that deleted the transcriptional regulator HEX-A. What was the goal of this experiment? Well, the transcriptional repressor HEX-A was implicated in regulating nematode mutualism and general antibiotic activity in a related bacterium. So deleting this gene in photorabdus luminescence caused an upregulation of bioactive small molecules which enabled their structural elucidation. Discovery of new bacterial-produced stillbeans regulated by HEXA places them in their physiological context. So how did you get interested in this area of study? Photorabdus was a twofer. One, the laboratory was working on symbiotic relations of bacteria with insects, so bark beetles, fungus farming ants, and so on, in which the bacteria helped the insect. Photorabdus luminescence represented an opportunity to study an antagonistic relationship. And two, another part of the laboratory was studying bacterial signaling with the overall aim of discovering small molecules made by normally silent pathways. Photorabdus luminescence represented an opportunity to expand these studies. And finally, what are the next steps in the project? We'd like to carry out a systematic study with the goal of finding out how every pathway is regulated and what small molecule or molecules they produce. It is likely that there will be some stubborn pathways that prevent us from determining all of them, though. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. 
we continue to define ChemBioGlossary terms on the air. This month's keyword is interactome. The interactome is the complex network of biomolecular interactions within a cell. Now, Ron Raines joins us to discuss his article. Hi, Ron. Hi, Jennifer. So first, what is the RNA world hypothesis? Well, the RNA world hypothesis was an idea first put forth by Wally Gilbert, and it proposes that a world filled with life based on RNA, ribonucleic acid, predated the current world of life, which is based on DNA and protein. RNA, which can both store information like DNA and act as an enzyme, like proteins, may have supported cellular and even precellular life, according to the RNA world hypothesis. You propose the mechanism for a step in the spontaneous synthesis of an activated ribonucleotide. Why is this step important in RNA synthesis? The step that we talk about in our article is important and interesting from a chemical point of view because it necessitates the reaction at what's known as a secondary hydroxyl group rather than a primary hydroxyl group in the same molecule. And usually secondary hydroxyl groups are less reactive because of steric encumbrance Secondary means that the carbon to which the hydroxyl group is bound is bound to two other carbon atoms rather than just one. And what was observed by our collaborator, John Sutherland, was that the uh, secondary hydroxyl group actually reacted much faster than the primary one, and that was necessary in order to get the synthesis of the activated nucleotide uh, to occur, the precursor for the RNA world that the Sutherland lab had put forth last year in an article in Nature. So how did you get interested in this area of study? This area of study arose in an interesting way. We had been for several years interested in an interaction known as the n to pi star interaction where a lone pair of electrons on an atom, for example, typically uh, an oxygen atom, interacts with a pi star orbital, an antibonding orbital, in the same molecule. And we had done a lot of work on this in the last few years, uh, this n to pi star interaction in proteins. But my coworker, Amit Shudari, who is the lead author in the study, noticed that the results in the Sutherland paper published last year could be explained by this n to pi star interaction. We had never made the leap before studying this interaction in a nucleic acid rather than a protein, but he noticed this, and we did some work to flesh this out and some calculations, and we contacted Professor Sutherland, who, by the way, I've known for a long time. He and I knew each other as graduate students. He spent uh, some time in the same lab I was in as a graduate student, so we've been friends for 20 years but had never worked together before. We had this opportunity. We contacted him, and he thought this was a terrific avenue to pursue. So together, our groups pursued this and came up with this uh, new hypothesis. So finally, what are the next steps in this project? Well, I think that this suggests that these kinds of stereoelectronic effects, which of course are intrinsic to chemistry, could be very important in many aspects of 
biological chemistry. There could be other kinds of interesting stereoelectronic effects which may have steered the origin of life. And it also, I think, should encourage nucleic acid chemists to think about these kinds of stereoelectronic effects in nucleic acids. That we've been pushing the importance of this in the protein world, and we think that there could be some very interesting ramifications in the world of nucleic acids as well, and I think that's something we can look forward to in the future. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Jennifer. Now, we'd like to highlight some interesting content you'll find only on our website. In Ask the Expert, we give you the opportunity to pose questions directly to top scientists in the field. Our current expert is Dr. Sheng Ding, Associate Professor at the Scripps Research Institute. He will be fielding your questions about the use of chemical and functional genomic tools to study stem cell biology and regeneration. Submit your questions for him today at www.acschemicalbiology.org. To learn more about the authors of the papers in the current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors feature in print and on the web. This month, we meet five young scientists, Tapa Nayak, Renee Kontik, Jason Crawford, Genevieve Deschutinier, and Suzanne Wieson. Read this section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. That's it for this month's show. Join us next month for more ACS chemical biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit www.acschemicalbiology.org. Thanks to all of you for listening.